You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. Our podcast series are based on 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And it's good to know that if you're in Christ, we win. Come on, say we win. Today is going to be a a very special time that we're going to share today. I was teaching on a subject, uh, the thought war, but I decided to to put that series on hold for just a moment. We're going to go back to it. We're not finished with it. But let's talk about the incident surrounding uh, the death of George Floyd. There's so much going on. And here's what I want to do. I posted my thoughts on Facebook recently. And uh, I want to unpack it. I want to unwrap some of the statements that I uh, said uh, in the post. And I want, as I'm talking, because I'm going to take time to unpack it, I want you, if you have any questions, you have any comments, I want you to uh, give them to us. And listen, you don't have to agree with everything that I'm saying. It's all right. We're just going to have a good time. I'm going to take my time to talk. And then so we'll stretch our time out a little longer and then we'll try to get to some of your questions and some of your comments and whatever you want to say. So I want to go back and and walk you through how I got to the post and, and what prompted me to share the post. Let's go back to what happened on Monday, May the 25th, 2020, George Floyd an African-American man died in Minneapolis, Minnesota, after being handcuffed and lying face down on a city street during an arrest. A white police officer kept his knee on the right side of Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Floyd died shortly after, possibly minutes after. On Friday, the 29th, my staff and I were discussing the need for something to be said. They uh, felt very strong about the fact that something needed to be said. They felt like you, many of you, something needs to be said about it. In regard to the situation, in regard to the racial tension and turmoil that were sparked by the uh, Floyd's death. Well, here's what I said, and I just want to walk you through this uh, for just a moment and because I want to be transparent with you. When they brought up the subject, we were all discussing it. I said to them in response to what they were saying is, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Now, I got two main reasons that I want to share with you why I made that statement, but I want to say something in general, uh, because there are a lot of people talking about we need to speak up, and we do need to speak up. Okay, but listen at this statement. 
Not all pastors are called, anointed, equipped, and knowledgeable enough to speak on the behalf, now listen carefully, to the body of Christ, on behalf of the body of Christ in a public forum on a public platform. I'm referring now, listen carefully, to spiritual jurisdiction. God has spoken to me a lot about staying in my lane. I believe that there are often, listen carefully, now I'm talking about a public platform, a public forum. I believe that there are oftentimes too many voices and these too many voices creates confusion. During the civil rights movement, there was a united, uh, it was a united movement because we had regional voices, but we had one major voice, Martin Luther King Jr. He was a major voice. So one of the challenges that we're facing today as African-Americans is that we don't have major, a major, we don't have major voices. So we need that voice, but we also need regional voices. I was listening to uh, Pastor Mike McClure Jr. and Pastor Thomas Beavers uh, speaking at a recent uh, uh, recent uh, protest. And I think that God has raised up some very powerful young voices. And I'm speaking in terms of Mike McClure Jr. and I'm speaking in terms of Thomas Beavers. They are, in my opinion, young, connected, and connected. They are mature, they are spiritual, they are knowledgeable, they are anointed, and they are powerful. They are powerful voices. So I believe I vote for them. That's just my opinion. I vote for them. I think that the rest of us pastors and I think the rest of us should support them. I think we should stand in a place of intercessory prayer because our prayers matter. And I think as local pastors, all of our responsibilities as it relates to race relations and all these different things that we should teach our congregation on this subject of race and racial prejudice and racism. It is important. And I think that if on an individual level, we will all begin to preach in our congregations black, white, red, yellow, brown, I think that we can break it on the body of Christ. Now, there were two major reasons why I said, and I want to work through that because I want to get to my post. I, uh, the two major reasons I said, well, I don't know what to say, is because, number one, of the breadth and the comprehensive nature of racial prejudice in America. Years ago, God spoke to me and said that it needs to be dealt with. He was talking about ra racism, uh, especially in America. And I began to teach in my congregation several series 
on the area of race and racial prejudice. One series was Safe, Sanctified, and Prejudice. Now, I'm mentioning these series because you maybe want to go deeper into this. And I taught a series called Safe, Sanctified, and Prejudice. It dealt with racial prejudice. And I communicated that racial prejudice is learned behavior. We're not born with prejudice on the inside of us. It is a broad, comprehensive thing. It is learned behavior, but it's also a spirit. There is a spirit behind racial division. It is the spirit of division. And then racial prejudice is a mental stronghold. It's a way of thinking, fortified by uh, way of thinking, fortified custom, and resistant to change. It's a way of thinking that goes all the way back to childhood. So it's, it's a real problem. I also taught a series called When Color Doesn't Matter. This series dealt with racial prejudice in the church. Scripture says that judgment must begin in the house of God. The, 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 the reason why sometimes we cannot become salt and light is because we have too much prejudice, racial prejudice in the church, in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ. So I taught about that. And then years ago, I did a series called The Black Man, A Biblical View, the black, A Black Man, A Biblical View. And it dealt with the fact that God is not prejudiced. The Bible is a multicultural, multiracial revelation, and I, I share it with so that people of all races could view the black man not from a physical, natural standpoint, but from a biblical standpoint. Now, I mentioned those series, Save, Sanctify, and Prejudice, when color doesn't matter, and the black man, a biblical view, is because I think that those series, and you can order those, Mike Moore Ministries, uh, go to Mike Moore Ministries, and I believe that you can order that if it will bless you. I believe that it will be a blessing. But I said, I said that I told my staff, I don't know what to say. The second reason I said that, not just that the breadth and the comprehensive nature of the racial issue, but I don't think I'm smart enough to just talk. I, I really don't think I'm just smart enough to talk. And what I was saying is that I don't know what to say. I don't know what God wants me to say. I don't know what to say that will matter. Okay, so for me, I'm very dependent on, on God and I'm very dependent on prayer. I need to pray to get direction. I need to pray to get revelation. I need to pray for God to help me to deliver it. And then I need to pray for God to cause results to take place. Prayer is so very, very important. And oftentimes we are talking about things, rhetoric without praying about it. And so we don't have much anointing on it and we don't have much spiritual power. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke. So I told him, I don't, I don't know what to say. I knew something needed to be said, but I, I don't know what to say. I'm going to pray. 
God speaks to me in the night seasons. In other words, he speaks to me in my uh, dreams while I'm asleep. So I'm praying about this, and I went to sleep. And that Saturday morning, I heard the Spirit of God say, honor him. Okay, honor him. And I woke up, and usually I'll write it, things down in my journal. But this time I went to my office because now I have direction. Honor him. Now I have direction. And, I, and once I get direction, I know that he will help me to have revelation. I know that he will help me to deliver. And I believe he's going to get some results. So I went to my office and, and, I, and I was writing down the thoughts that I felt that he was giving me. And so I posted a, uh, a post that related to honoring George Floyd. Here's what I want to do. I want to read the post, and you can go on Faith Chapel uh, Facebook page, and you can go on to Mike Moore Ministries page and get the quote. But I want to read it in its fullest, and then want to go back and unpack what I was attempting to say. All along, now remember, you can ask questions, you can challenge, you can disagree, you can do whatever you want, and we'll try to answer some of your questions uh, when we at the end. Here's what I said in the post. In the midst of all the chaos, rhetoric, and political maneuvering following the death of George Floyd, let us not forget to honor him. And then I listed about eight different ways we can honor him. We honor George Floyd by discovering and highlighting the good in his life and his positive contributions to society. We honor him by holding accountable all those responsible for his cruel and untimely death. We honor him by manage anger and legal protests against the abuse of authority by police officers who obviously felt comfortable using undue and unnecessary force, believing that their authorities and peers would rally behind them at all costs. We honor him by challenging a judicial system that is historically unfair and adjudicates based on race, ethnicity, stereotypes, suspicion, wealth, and comfort. We honor him by not participating in illegal and opportunistic riots and looting that serve as major distractions from important and undermine important matters and undermine future progress. We honor him by diligent, determined, honest, and participatory efforts by all races to dismantle the systemic racism and prejudice that has fueled injustices in the past, present, and will continue in the future. We honor him by praying for comfort for his family, friends, and all parents of young black men and boys who both mourn his death and fear the possibility of their own loss.
And then finally, we honor George Floyd by responding in love and not in hate. I want to unwrap some of the things that I was saying today, and I hope you would just give me the time to, to share some of the things that I felt God put on in my heart. First, I said that in the midst of all the chaos, the rhetoric, and political maneuvering following the death of George Floyd, let us not forget to honor him. And that's what often happens in these kind of situations. We have the death of an unarmed black man, a young black person, and we have a lot of chaos, we have a lot of rhetoric, and we have a lot of, in this year, political maneuvering because this is an election year. So there's a lot of strategic posturing, a lot of political strategic positioning to influence people or to gain influence. And I remind you that the use of Christianity as a political tool is a formula that has worked for decades. So we get caught up in all of the things that's going on, and we actually forget, and in some cases, we dishonor the victim. I said eight different ways we can honor him. We can honor George Floyd by discovering and highlighting the good in his life and his positive contributions to society. And you know how this happens. You know what happens. Oftentimes, a young black man is victimized or abused, and then the legal system, prosecutors, defense attorneys, and sometimes even the media, go back in that person's past and bring up things in their past that are not germane to their victimization. So I think that it's important for media and important for people to highlight some of the good things in this guy's life, the, the positive contributions. I heard some say that he was a gentle giant. Well, let's talk about that. Let's not go back and try to pull up something negative in his past that's not germane or not relevant to the fact that he was a victim. I said that we honor him by holding accountable all, and I put a little emphasis on the all, those responsible for his cruel and untimely death. Now, let's, let's unpack this for a minute. We got, we got to stay here for a moment. I said that his death was cruel, whether you're black white, red, yellow, brown, when you look at that, that, that picture, when you look at the photo, when you look at the film, when you look at this police officer's knee on this man's neck, regardless to your race, you will have to admit that that was cruel. 
And the autopsy reports, the recent autopsy reports, have proven that it was a it was causative, that there, that that it caused the death, so it was an untimely death. But the key word in this statement that I, I want you to really get is the word accountable, because accountability is something that's going to run through the whole post. Every statement that I made, accountability, come on, say that, accountability, come on, say accountability. They must be all of them, not just the person who had the knee on his neck, but all of the police officers must be held accountable. Let's talk about accountability. We got to stay here for a second. Accountability means to hold responsible for actions. It is, it's important in every human relationship, accountability is important, but accountability is mutual. It's two-sided. In other words, a husband is the domestic head, a, a father, domestic head of the home. So he has a team under him and he's the leader, but he must be accountable and the family must be accountable. The pastor oversees a church and, and members. Well, the members must be accountable, but the pastor must be accountable. Uh, parents uh, over children, the children must be accountable, but the parent must be accountable. Police officers are authorities, and the citizens must be accountable, but the police officer must be accountable. And then the president, he's an authority over our country, and the citizens must be held accountable, but he must be held accountable. Accountability is important because accountability, now listen carefully, accountability creates trust and support. A lack of accountability does the opposite. A lack of accountability erodes trust, and it also erodes the reasonable expectation that citizens or subordinates or followers will act in a manner that promotes the general welfare of others. I'm going to say that again. Accountability, uh, lack of accountability erodes trust, but it also, listen now, it erodes the reasonable expectation that the citizens or the subordinate or the follower will act in a manner that promotes the general welfare of others. In other words, we reap what we sow. If we reap accountability, if we sow accountability, we will reap trust and support. If we sow a lack of accountability, we will reap a lack of trust and a lack of support. Now, that right there, you may want to think about it because that's really the crux of everything that I'm going to say the rest of the way. The third way we honor him, we honor George Floyd by managed anger and legal protests against the abuse of authority by police officers who obviously felt comfortable 
using undue and unnecessary force, believing that their authorities and their peers would rally behind them at all costs. Let's look at that statement. We honor him by managed, managed anger. Anger is not in and of itself a sin. The Bible says, be angry, but sin not. God is angry sometimes. Jesus was angry when we look at the scripture sometimes. It is nothing wrong with being angry. We should be angry at injustice. Protest, legal protest, is a fundamental right, and its importance is that it raises awareness. It raises awareness. And if it's legal protest, listen, it will keep us focused on things that matter. But it must be managed anger and legal protest against the abuse of authority. The authorities in this case abuse their authority. The force was undue. The force was unnecessary. The man was handcuffed. The man was face down on the ground. There was no need for that level of force. Now, listen carefully. According to Romans chapter 13, the Bible says that God ordains the authorities. He ordained authorities. So the Bible tells us to submit to godly authorities, but authority now can be abused. And the Bible never tells us to submit to the abuse of authority. I said that the police officers felt comfortable because cameras were on them. And it, it, it is my opinion that they felt comfortable even though cameras were on them, they felt comfortable, even though George Floyd was pleading for mercy, even though bystanders was pleading for mercy. I believe they felt comfortable because they understood the history of our country and the lack of accountability that goes all the way back to Rodney King and beyond. We honor him. The fourth way we honor him is by challenging a judicial system that is historically unfair and adjudicates based on race, ethnicity, stereotypes, suspicion, wealth, and comfort. It is uncomfortable to do the right thing sometimes. It is also a fact of history that people of means, people of wealth, tends to be dealt with on a much lighter fashion and are less held accountable than people who are poor. For example, our judicial system in a lot of ways have been historically unfair. In 2017, Blacks made up 17% of the population in Florida, and yet 47% of the 
of felony drug convictions. Listen to that, 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 listen to that statistic. Blacks in Florida in 2017 made up 17% of the entire population of Florida. Yet they made up, blacks made up 47% of felony drug convictions. The practice of prosecutors striking potential black jurors, even though it is illegal to exclude prospective jurors because of race, the practice still continues. We must, the fifth way we must honor him, we must honor him by not participating in illegal and opportunistic riots and looting that serve as major distractions from important matters and undermine future progress. Now, listen at this. We must not participate in illegal and opportunistic riots and looting. Now, let's talk about this. Looters, people who go into stores, break out windows, go into stores and steal. Looters and rioters who destroy property, it is both wrong and it is both illegal and it must, they must be hell accountable. We're talking about accountability from those in authority, but also those under authority. Now, we all know that in most cases, there are some outsiders who come into, into cities and strategically take advantage of the opportunity to destroy and to create rebellion because they have an agenda that is unrelated to George Floyd or whoever the victim is. Now, listen at this. And, and, and I speak to young African-Americans. I speak to young whites because there were blacks people and white people and Hispanic people that particip were participating in the lootings and the riots. Listen, listen, if, if somehow we can get this to them, listen, looting and rioting are major distractions. They distract from the major issues of injustice and inequity. They're distractions. Now listen to me carefully. A distraction means to pull the attention away from. Legal protest keeps the focus on the issues. When you see people across America, black, white, red, yellow, brown, that are protesting in a legal fashion, it keeps the focus on the issues. The issues are injustice and inequity. So legal protest keeps it focused. What riots and looting does 
it becomes a distraction. It pulls the attention away from the issues of injustice and inequity. And listen, listen, it changes the narrative. It changes the narrative. It moves the narrative, watch this, from change to unrest. Now, all of a sudden, we're not thinking about changing the inequities and the injustice. Now we're thinking about stopping the unrest. So the narrative now, we have all these situations to stop the unrest, and the narrative changes, distracts, pulls everyone away. So the major issues get lost in the change of the narrative. The, the, the looting and riotous cha rioting changes the narrative because now we move from the problems we face to the problems we have. So people, black, white, red, yellow, brown, look at black people and others looting places, and they say, look at them, look at them black folk right there. Look at them black folk, folk. Look, look, look. and so, Many of us who are black feel ashamed and the narrative now has, has, has shifted. And so the issues get totally lost. And so we go from one situation to another situation. Now I, I'm, I'm running kind of fast cause I want to, I want to say something. I want to say something else about this. The scripture says, and, and the scripture says where there's no vision that the people perish, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint, where there's no vision, the people run wild. So when the people cannot see a vision of proper authority, when they cannot see a vision of accountability, then people run wild. So in a way, I think all of us as authorities, all the way from the president on down, I think we should also evaluate ourselves because maybe our lack of submitting to authority, maybe our lack of accountability has been the seeds that has produced the harvest of turmoil that we are dealing with right now. The sixth thing that I notice is that we must honor him by diligent, determined, honest, and participatory efforts by all races, all races, all races, to dismantle the systemic racism and prejudice that has failed, has fueled injustices in the past, present, and will continue in the future. So, uh, people of color cannot single-handedly overcome a system that's stacked against it. I said that again. People of color cannot single-handedly overcome a system that's stacked against them. There must be a critical mass of white people, white people, white people, a critical mass of white people white politicians, white government officials, white pastors, 
there must be a critical mass of white people who overcome their own wrong uh, perspective. And here's what I mean. Some white people think that their experience is black people's experience. That's until white people understand that black people's experience is not their experience, they won't have the empathy and the compassion to fight. In other words, the experiences are different. The experiences are different. Systemic racism does not mean that all white people are racist. Systemic racism means that there are systems and institutions that produce racially disparate outcomes in education, in employment, in promotions, in housing, in banking, in lending, and across the board, so forth and so on. For example, Pete, my wife Pete, her, that's her nickname, she was talking about two friends who went to a company, and I think they start working at the same time. They were close friends. Black man and a white man were good friends. The black man was more educated than the white man, had more credentials than the white man, yet the white man got promoted. The white man, because he was a friend of the black man, went to the black man and told the black man that the reason he got promoted over him is that he was white. That was a real friend. He understood systemic racism. It doesn't mean every white person is a racist. It's a system. For example, a survey was done of 1,600 entry-level jobs. And the minorities or the black people who whitened their resumes were called back for interviews 25% of the time. Applicants, black applicants, who kept references in their resumes to their race was called back 10% of the time for interviews. There are things that are institutionalized that hinders a level playing field. That's what systemic racism is. Number seven, we honor him by praying for comfort for his family, his friends, and all parents of young black men and boys who both mourn his death and fear the possibility of their own loss. We must pray for his family. We must pray for his friends. And then the parents of black kids deal with fear that their sons may be dealt the same way. And then finally, we must honor him, George Floyd, by responding in love and not hate. I tried to unpack some of the things that I was saying in the post. Uh, uh, if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have disagreements, if you have thoughts that maybe I didn't say, then I want to hear from you. I'm going to look at some of the questions that you've sent in. And, and while I'm dealing with that, if you have other questions, please send us those questions in. 
Do you believe someone can be racist and a Christian at the same time? Uh, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Now, here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. And I think that's a, a great question. I said uh, the series that I taught, um, When Color Doesn't Matter, I was dealing with racial prejudice in the church. Um, you asked whether a person could be a Christian and be a racist, and I said yes. Racism is a learned behavior, okay? When you get saved, a person gets saved, their spirit changes. Their spirit is brand new, but their minds are not changed. In other words, their mindsets, their their training, all the things that they've learned as children does not change. So a person can be born again on the inside, but have an unsaved mind. That's why there's racism in the church. There's, there, there's prejudice, and there are black people that are prejudiced, white people that are prejudiced, brown, Hispanic, prejudice in the church. And, it, and because it's in the church, we don't have the voice that we should have because it's in our churches. You, I'll give you a proof text that you can be saved and, and be a racist. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was a saved racist. He was born again. He was spirit-filled. He talked in tongues, but he was a racist, and God had to deal with him supernaturally because he didn't want to have anything to do with Gentiles. But yet he was born again. Yet he was saved. What are some things we can do as a community right now? Um, I, I, I think we can talk. You know, I, you know, I, I talked about, I think communities need leadership. I think, I think communities need leadership. I mean, communities just don't start doing things. People don't just start doing things. I think it, there has to be some dialogue between political leaders. There has to be dialogue between leaders in education. There has to be dialogue with ministers. I think there has to be some level of communication, and there has to be some prayer and I guess as an individual, you can evaluate your own heart. I mean, these are heart issues. They, I mean, H-E-A-R-T and H-A-R-D. These are issues that every individual has to ask themselves, am I prejudiced? Am I prejudiced? And we have to have honest discussion with others of different races and honest discussions with ourselves. Um, uh, is God hurt when things like this happen? <clears throat> I think he's very much hurt when things like these happen. I think he's hurt at the systemic racism in our country. I think he's uh, hurt by the, the fact that sometimes as Christians, we become political uh, instead of light, salt and light. Uh, I think he's hurt by the fact that we can't lead because we have prejudice in us. 
Uh, I think a lot of things hurt God, <coughs> but he needs people. God uses people. God's will is established through people. God does not arbitrarily do anything. He has to have people, and he has to have people who are honest. And, and my challenge, I'll be honest with you, I'll be transparent with you. My challenge with this issue of racism, especially in the church, is that I don't think we want to have hard discussions. I, I don't think we have the courage to talk about it. I don't think we have the courage to say that we're prejudiced. I don't think we have the courage to talk about our fears. I, I think we have fears. Uh, I think we are, are concerned about a lot of things. And uh, I don't think we pray enough. Uh, people say, well, we need to do more in prayer. I don't think the average Christian pray more than 15 minutes a day. And most Christians don't pray 15 minutes a day. So when people say we need to do more than prayer, that's because they're not praying. We're not praying. We're not really. Prayer is labor. Prayer is a fight. They're, they're, it is work to pray. You fight demons when you pray because a lot of this stuff is spiritual. It's demons separating us. It's demons. Th these are spirits. They're working through people, but they are spirits. Uh, why do you feel that pastors don't teach or say anything on racism and prejudice, but are quick to teach on abortion and homosexuality, which the Bible does say is a sin? Well, uh, this may sound like a judgment, and I'm willing to be called on it. Uh, I don't think that black people teach on racism and prejudice. I don't think we think we are prejudiced. I don't think we think we have issues in our hearts. So we don't really teach series to our congregations on it. And then I think, and, and I'll, I'll be called on it, I think white pastors are afraid to teach on it because they'll lose members. Uh, I think they will lose members. It, it's a historical fact that when a lot of black people move into predominantly white churches, if too many get there, the white people leave the church. So I think white pastors are a little afraid to talk about this because they're going to lose some people. They, they're going to lose some people. Uh, so I really believe, be honest with you, I don't think any of us are talking, teaching on it. I think we get mad about it. I think we get mad about it. The yoke is destroyed by the anointing. I don't think we teach on it. We teach on everything. I think, I think we are making a big mistake and this may be a personal opinion. We talk about abortion. We talk about homosexuality. What about racism? We never talk about racism. We never talk about prejudice. We never talk about poor people. We never talk about it. But we talk about homosexuality, and it's the epitome of Christianity. And so uh, personally, I think we got a problem. How do we fight systemic racism when we are not on elected officials or not, not in elected officials? Well. I, my thoughts on that is that we have to run for offices. I think that we have qualified young people, uh, educated people, smart people. There are a lot of Mike McClure Jr.'s. Uh, 
And the reason I mention Mike McClure Jr. and, and Thomas Beaver is because they're young and they're connected. And this is a different generation. And it's all right if us older ministers don't be out front. It's all right. We can support. We can be intercessors. I love to pray. I, I enjoy praying. I think prayer is a powerful thing. But I think we need to have people, young people, run for offices. Uh, here's another thing that I think. Systemic uh, racism uh we, we've got to, from politicians and people who want, okay, and then we have to vote too, but we have to do more than vote. We have to negotiate our vote. Uh, there are things that have to be changed at the local level, so we need some local people. There are some things that need to be changed on the state level, so we need to have some people representing uh, in state legislatures. And then there's some things that need to be changed at a federal level. We got to have more people uh, educating themselves and running for offices. And then we got to have more people voting. And then we got to also start negotiating our vote. In other words, we are we get caught up in hero worship. Okay, we like people, but we don't think about issues and we don't we don't negotiate it. Okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to help our communities? What are you going to do to help change some of these things that's going on? So I think that that we have to go beyond voting and start negotiating our vote. uh, I feel like this has been an ongoing war against us, and there are casualties in war, which in this case are the businesses and buildings that can eventually be replaced. I know we taught that God fights our battles, but did the Israelites and Philistines ever get along? <laughs> I love it. I love the question. I love the question. I love the question. Um, there, there is, that's what I meant when I said, I don't know what to say because it's so broad. It can be changed, but it's so broad. And what you're bringing up, you're bringing up these issues. Like when you say an ongoing war against us, well, as minorities, we've been fighting racial prejudice since we've come to America. I mean, it's just been a problem. But God oftentimes works through his people. You know, I think, and this this is debatable. Now you're going to, and I don't mind you disagreeing with me. I don't mind you disagreeing with me. I think that the biggest problem is there are two problems, there are two problems, and I'm going to tell you what the major problem is in my mind, and then the, the biggest problem, an important problem. We have a problem of a lack of true leadership from the top all the way down. 
we got, we, 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 there's a leadership vacuum. There is a lack of leadership and influencers that really love people. I mean, that's really love people. One of the biggest problems we have is leadership. And you can take that any way you want to take it. You can take that in education. You can take that in, in the church. Uh, I'm a leader. We got problems. Uh, you can take that in government. It's a leadership void. Because I'm a minister, I'm going to naturally think about things from a spiritual perspective. I think the biggest problem with this racial issue is the church. I think the church. Because when you talked about the Israelites and the Philistines getting along, they never did get along, okay? We are called, the church, we are called to be salt. That means we preserve it. We keep out corruption. And we're called to be light, we're, we're to give direction. We're to show people the way. That's how God works. He works through his people. But his people are prejudiced. Black, white, red, yellow, brown. We are prejudiced. We are. And so God doesn't have anybody to work through. So it hurts him because we're not where we need to be. We won't deal with it. The church will not deal with it. And here again, you brought up the issue of abortion. We'll deal with that. You brought up the issue of homosexuality. We'll deal with that. But we will not. We refuse to. We are afraid of dealing with racial prejudice. It is. And that's my prayer. And that's where intercession comes in. A lot of people say, oh, well, we need to do more and pray. We need to listen. Real prayer can change some hearts. Real prayer. I ain't talking about the 15 minute thing. I ain't talking about the 10 minutes. You do your little prayer. I'm talking about real intercession, taking authority over these spirits that's operating. I believe that uh, the second, another question, they said, Pastor, can you run for president? Listen, listen. No, no way. I'm dealing with something now that for me, I, I'm trying to deal with it from a spiritual standpoint, but I'll be honest with you. I think people in these positions, uh, for example, we need to pray for our mayor, Mayor Wolfen. Uh, when you in his position and you're dealing with a large group of people and citizens, you got to make tough decisions. I listen to him. Politics, and, and that, that's a hard job to do it right. I listened to him and, and his uh, about the curfew and all that. He was intelligent. He was articulate. He was determined. He was firm, but he wasn't combative. I, I, I think we need to support him. You don't have to agree with everything. There's no way he's going to make a decision that everybody's going to like. And so 
Everybody going to come against him and everybody going to talk about him. We need to intercede for him. We need to pray for him. Uh, I believe he's a good man. I believe he want to do what's right. And I, people in those positions are, it's a tough role. It's just a tough role. How do we get our young people more involved in the church? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think we've got to change some things that the way we do church uh, I, I think we have to uh, not, in our churches, we can't, uh, what's the word? We can't hoard our positions. That's a strange word to use in this, but hoard. Uh, uh, let me give you an illustration. I think we need to change the way we do church. I also think we need more young people leading in church which means some of us older people have to not be intimidated by young people coming in and not patient with their development. For example, I brought up Thomas Beaver and I brought up Mike McClure Jr. I am a much more, oh, I'm older than they are. I'm more experienced than they are in some cases, but I believe that they can offer more to this generation than I can. And I'm all right with that. See, I'm all right. I, I think they are beautiful. I think they are beautiful. They are so special and I love what they're doing. They're doing amazing things in our church. And so rather than me trying to jump up in front of them and, and jump in there and say something, no, we have to, as we mature, we have to push others up, up. We have to push them up and we have to mentor. I was given a Sunday school class when I was about 11 or 12 and I started teaching Sunday school at 11, about 11 or 12. Well, we, we, we got to do better mentoring, do better, better pulling back some. Doesn't mean, see, I'm going to still be involved. Okay. I'm going to still do my thing. I'm going to still obey God, but we don't always have to be the center of it. And I think we have to kind of pull back a little bit, push them up a little bit. And I think when you get involved with something, you become a part of it and you can be more active. Uh, how to, uh, is this why we should be a part of the seven spheres of influence? Yes. That person talked about the seven spheres of influence in the world, media, education, religion, government, all those are spheres. And I think sports, athletics, we need Christians, believers, strong believers in all these areas, not just in the church. We need them in politics. We need them in education. We need them in government. We need them in media. We need them in uh, uh, the arts. We need strong influences everywhere going to all the world. We got to stop criticizing people when they go into the world. These are great questions. Okay. Um, uh, can you speak more on, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, am I pushing, am I, am I putting questions ahead of questions? Okay. Uh, can you speak on negotiating our vote? What, what I meant by negotiating our vote is, okay, we, we, whoever you vote for, I'm not trying to get you to vote for a certain person. Okay. I'm not even trying to get you to vote for a party, but a lot of times we vote, but we don't negotiate it. We don't have any demands on politicians. 
We make no demands on politicians. And so sometimes people get our vote and they just do their thing and nothing really happens and nothing that because we don't negotiate it. We, we don't say this is what we think should happen. We and, and, and I'm talking about negotiating it because people want your vote. Then you should talk to them about issues that matter. And when they come up and get elected and all that, you should have an expectation. And, and, and I don't know if I'm totally qualified to talk too much about that. Uh, we need the strength of the youth and the wisdom of the elders. Are there meetings between the African-American pastors in Birmingham for this issue? Um, I don't know. There, I hope that some will come out of them. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be a part of it. Um, but I don't know if anything, remember, is... We're just caught up in it right now, and hopefully we'll respond some kind of way. Uh, Pastor, do you feel or see that there is anyone stepping up to the plate to take the lead? Out front leaders regarding what's going on today, I'm asking because I keep looking but not finding it. Well, I said leadership, but I don't know if it's when we talk about uh when we talk about national leadership, we talk about state leadership, we talk about local leadership, I think that we do have people, but I think there's too much infighting. I think there's too many egos. Um and we see that same thing in the church. You know, we just egos. We want to be the one talk. We want to be the one out front. We want to be recognized. And somewhere we got to have people who don't care about who speak. We don't care about who leads. We don't care about who gets the credit. We just don't care about that. We just want people to be blessed and want people to be helped. I think that's where prayer comes in at. That I think... When you see things like that, maybe God is calling you to do something about it. Um, there are so many who don't believe that injustice happens in education, but it is. There are leaders who are out here to make a change in education, but very few jump on board due to fear of what other issues. What advice do you have for those uh, leaders? You know, I, 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 if you are a leader in education, you have to, now I'm going to keep saying this, I'm going to keep saying this, and, and sooner or later, some people are going to stop talking against this prayer thing. A lot of the anointing and the lot of strategies come from the Spirit of God. What people don't realize about prayer is not just praying and talking, but praying is how you get anointed and praying is how you get strategic insight. For example, when I said, I don't know what to say, it's not like I don't have stuff to say, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. And when the Lord said, 
honor him. Now I got direction from the spirit. When I sit down, I can expect him to help me and put my thoughts together. I had people say that was well said. Well, it was well said because I was dependent on him to help me to say it. And I'm saying that's not just true in ministry. That's in education rather than just educating ourselves and pushing ourselves. Why don't we spend if you're a leader, spend the quality time praying that God will anoint you, that God will give you ideas, and that God will give you a strategy in your sphere of activity. Because God can show you how to say things, and again, God can give you favor with people. But that comes in the prayer closet. A lot of that comes in the prayer closet, whether you're a educator, politician, uh, whatever other field you're in, you can get anointing in prayer. You can get strategies. And, and that's what I want you to get. You get strategies in prayer on how to do natural things. Is the church failing its mission to address racism? Yes, 100%. We're flunking. We, we're not, we, we not, you know, you know, we don't have an elf in the area of racism, we got a F minus. We we have a F minus. It's not, we not even on, we listen, we flunked out. We're not even in the classroom. We we listen, they won't even let us come to the classroom anymore. So yes. Pastor, do you think pop protesting without sound strategy and planning is is ineffective? I think all legal protests have some effect. But I think you have to have a strategy and you have to plan something. And, and so sometimes we do a lot of the protesting, but we don't have a strategy. Uh, how would you suggest that people do their individual part to contribute to change, for example, prayer or peaceful protest? I think it's both. I don't think it's prayer alone. I think it's protest I, legal protest. I think it's prayer. I think it's voting. I think it's running for offices. I think it's negotiating your vote. I think it's a combination of things. In my opinion, it is incumbent upon us to identify leadership in the home. How do we encourage better leadership in the home? I think you, in, you can get better leadership in the home by everybody being connected to a good church where you are going consistently and where you're being fed God's word. Because if you're being fed God's word, you're going to be better if you act out on what your pastor said. You're going to be better. And, and I think I'm a better husband because of the word and because of the example of my parents. I think I'm a better father because of the word. When I say better, we should all strive to be better because none of us are perfect. None of us doing everything we need to do, but we should be striving to get better. If white prominent pastors will not come or join with black prominent pastors, why won't, some, why won't someone go to them? Uh, I'm trying to think what the answer on that. That the one of the one of the things that you will hear in my teachings, 
Faith sanctified sexual act, same sanctified and prejudice. I, I did several things on save sanctified, save sanctified and prejudice. Um, when color doesn't matter, the black man this is arguable what I'm getting ready to say. This is this isn't this is debatable. It may not be accurate. It's difficult it's difficult and and I and I said it in my notes I said that it's difficult for a person who's challenged who is naturally speaking, in an inferior position to make things happen, really happen. Let me explain that. And, and, and uh, I, I, I would rather talk to a white pastor about that because I don't want to sound condemnatory. So I'm not dodging the question, but it's, it's, it's something that I would say to a white pastor and, and maybe not in this, maybe not in this setting. Um, is racism talked about in the Bible? Yes. Everything that I taught on those series, um, is in the Bible. Every series, when color doesn't matter, when matter, save, sanctified, and prejudice, the black man in the series, it's an old series. The black man, a biblical view, I show how the Bible is a multiracial, multicultural revelation. And I talked about the place of black people in the Bible and the role that black people have played. A lot of people don't know that there were black people in the church at Antioch, the first Christian church. In Acts chapter 13, some of those people listed were black. Um, a lot of people don't know that there were black prophets. Uh, so, uh, yes. But here again... <clears throat> All the way back to slavery days, Christianity was used to keep people in bondage. And, and now, in our age, Christianity is a political tool. It's a political tool to influence. It's a, it's, it's a formula. Christianity is a formula that a lot of times politicians use and it's a formula that has worked for decades. And so a lot of times we see hypocrisy and we think that's God. That's not God. That's people. We said, you know, that's the white man's religion. We say all crazy things like that because we don't know what the Bible says. And we see hypocrisy. People do churches that way all the time. They say, well, you know, they're hypocrites, so I ain't going to church. I hear people say it all the time. I think that's dumb. That's almost like saying there's racism in America. I'm going to leave America. We don't do that. 
That's like saying, I got a problem in my home, so I'm going to leave. We don't quit families like that. Um, but it, it's been good. How do we encourage and get our influential black pastors to speak up on social justice issues in Birmingham? Um, yeah. I, you know, I said something about that, but I, I don't I don't know. If, I don't know if you kind of heard me. I don't know if you have to have every black pastor to speak on it. I don't know if that's necessary. I think you have to have black influential pastors to support. I don't think every black influential pastor has to be the speaker. That's why I mentioned the Thomas Beavers and the Mike McClure Juniors. Um, I think they need our support. I think I'm a black influential pastor and I'm willing to support them. I'm willing to speak on forums. I'm willing to speak wherever I need to speak. Um, I don't know if I can personally just say I'm going to speak, you know, um, but I'm willing to learn. I'm open to learn if you can help me. Thoughts about how to discuss, explain racism, prejudice to young kids. Uh, you, you can take, and I'm not trying to get you to pay, buy my stuff, but you can take the series that I've been mentioning all through this thing, and you can put it in a format where they'll understand it. Um, and I think they need to be taught. Do you believe that politics is a part of the world system? Um uh, yes, I do believe that politics is a part of the world system. But I also believe that it's not wrong to be political. I just think that you should be salt and light wherever you are. If you're a politician, you should be salt and light. Um, we had some really good questions. Um, I don't see any more, but I trust, I would like to say to you, if this, you think this format, if you think what we did today was helpful or a blessing or whatever, then share it, get it out, get it out. Cause see, you can share it. And one of the things that I was so excited about is that when I posted, uh, honoring him, I think, I think, I think there were, let's see, there were, um, there were a lot of people who uh, shared it. Um, and I thought that was great. We had 218 comments and about 363 shares. And see, that's very po po positive. So if this was a blessing, then why don't you share it? Just try to get it out as many places. And then maybe, maybe it can stir up other folk. And maybe we, maybe some forums can come out of it. Maybe some discussions can come out of it. I think you should share with everybody. Blacks, white, reds, yellow, brown. I think, um, then Simeon helped Christ carry the cross. Yes, he was a black man. Do you think that's a reason we have taken a part in the sufferings of of Christ, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's my personal opinion. I don't think there's any sim symbolism. Uh, I think uh, we've just experienced some evil. I think racism and prejudice is evil. 
And uh, but I don't know if I see an symbolism between him carrying the cross and we experiencing racism. But sh share this information um, to as many people. We got another question. Okay. Um, I agree that our family is blessed because of the word. However, when I see some of the criminal activity perpetrated, especially by our youth during this season, it is disturbing. So how can we, how can we, I guess, lead them to into church to teach them? I think that's a part of it. Uh, a part of what you see is problems that we have. Re remember I said that, that sometimes the riots and the looting change the nar narrative from the problems that we face, injustice and inequities, to the problems we have. We have some problems as a race. We have some problems that are unrelated to black, white people. Uh, we have some problems in terms of leadership in our homes. We have some problems in terms of modeling in our home. Um, we have pro some problems of absentee uh, fathers in our homes. So some of the big issues that we have are unrelated to racism. They are related to us. And so I think that we have to be more, we have to be real at home and not religious. You know, kids are, they, most kids love their dad if they have one. They love their mother. Uh, they want leadership, especially when they're early. If we're not real at home, if we're hypocrites at home, we go to church, but we live a different way at home, they're spotted and they rebel from it and they're not going to want to be a part of it. And so I think in some cases we've been religious at home, but not Christians at home. They're shot on it. Well... Thank you for staying with us. Um, I love the questions. I think it was a good, good time of talking and fellowship. Pray that you were blessed by it. Love you. And I'm going to be praying. Trust me, I will definitely be praying.